Well, good morning, Mosaic. It's good to see your faces. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm the interim pastor here at Mosaic. Uh, I've had a really busy week, too. I've been on vacation for the last two weeks. So it's been really nice. My, my jeans are, like, extra tight today because I've been in shorts. So I have, like, extra, extra skinny jeans today. And I'm blaming it on my dryer and not the 5,000 calories a day I consumed on the cruise. <laughs> Has anyone ever been on a cruise before? You live just in a perpetual state of being full. Like, you really do. Like, you're just never hungry. Like, me and Nicole would be hanging out, and then all of a sudden it's like, I feel a tiny twinge of hunger. Let's go to the all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? Oh, man. So I love that question. What do we need to do in order to get God to bless us? Uh, I really liked Mike, Mike's answer. He said, just sneeze. Right? That's a good dad joke for you right there. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but we are right. Uh, third week in our series that we're calling Kingdom of Losers, right? Parables of Grace. So we're really going through these, these parables that Jesus uh, taught. Uh, and we're really focusing on the parables that have a lot to do with the grace of God. Uh, and, and so we're diving into a lot of these stories because Jesus, the way that he taught, the way that he uh, shaped uh, his conversations with people is through stories. Uh, but it's because in life, stories shape us. When we think back of memories, it's typically we think in terms of stories. Stories stick into our memories. Why not just tell people blatant truths? It's because a story will stick with you for a long time. And so that's a big reason why Jesus, he constantly told these parables. But even, even that, the title of this series, Kingdom of Losers, right? It feels a little self-deprecating, doesn't it? And it feels like a little, like, it, it kind of twinges at you a little bit. Like, I kept, even, even uh, as the weeks went on before we launched the series, I kept thinking, we got to change the title because it, it just feels negative, right? It feels like we're almost, like, like making fun of us or making fun of someone. Uh, but I think that's because we've gotten things backwards. Because we perceive winning as strength and losing as weakness, and so Jesus, what he does many times with his parables is he flips things on its head. So what we have with our own preconceived ideas, what we perceive as truth, Jesus, a lot of times, he'll flip it. And he'll say, what you thought was truth was actually the opposite of that. And so really what Jesus says is he says, if you lose your life, you will find it. And so this is, this is really why we wanted to call this here's kingdom of losers, because we are a kingdom of people who have lost our lives uh, so that we could find it. Uh, and so growing up, like, I, I, I you know, I, I don't have that much of a problem with saying losing uh, because I feel like I've had a lot more failures in my life than successes. Anyone with me? A few of us. Yeah. I feel like I've had, you know, in life, in uh, my work, in my family, uh, being a husband, being a father, I remember a lot more of my failures than I do my successes. Uh, and even, uh, you know, when you're growing up, and everyone always, you, you used to do this, like the loser, right? I actually have an L scar in my forehead. So I grew up my whole life as a loser, and it's imprinted on my forehead like Harry Potter. But instead of a lightning bolt, I have an L, right? Because, uh, so growing up, I, I got, you know, like any kid, you get made fun of a lot. Uh, and so I was, I was typically the smallest the slowest, not as smart as everyone else around me. I think it's because I have a later birthday. My birthday's in July. So most 
of the kids in my grade year were a year older than me. I don't know that as an eight-year-old, right? And so I got this nickname growing up, Butterfinger Bill, right? Because I couldn't catch a football. Because every time they pass me the football, I drop it. And so it's like Butterfinger Bill, right? Don't even get me started when the movie Free Willy came out, okay? But I eventually, I got a little bit better at football. I think a few of my friends had pity on me, so they practiced with me. So I learned to catch. So I remember I was in fourth grade, and I ran across the middle, and the quarterback finally passed the ball to me, and I caught it, and I couldn't believe that I caught it. And I go to run up field, and I feel some hands on my back. Someone was tagging me, and I turned to go upfield and ran right into a soccer goalpost. <laughs> Split my head open, 30 stitches, and now I'm a loser for life. <laughs> right? Right? A lot of, oh, there's a lot of sympathetic people in the room. <laughs> I dig that. I dig that. Thank you. Uh, but really, I, I want us to go on this journey together, to embrace this, that our path to faith, our, our path that we're walking down, the gate that we walk through, we find that not through winning, not through achieving, not through success, not through religion. We actually find that through our losing, when we become the least and the lowest. We, we find those moments, we, we walk through this gate of faith many times in our failures and in our sin and all those ways that we've dropped the ball. That's when we begin this journey of faith. And that's why I love the story that we read so much, because it's so hard for us to believe, because so often we think that if we do good things, God will bless us. And so, so often we fall into this trap where we think, if I can just do this, then God will bless me. Uh, I follow quite a few churches on social media, and one church that I love and respect so much, um, they did this series on money, and Every time they posted about it, someone's story, it was, uh, I was struggling financially, I gave 10% to the church, and then bam, I got a promotion. I was struggling financially, I gave 10% to the church, bam, my house sold that I couldn't sell. And so it's so easy to fall into this trap that when we do good things, God will give us blessings, and when we do bad things, God will take blessings away. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have fallen into that trap. And the thing that I love about this parable that Jesus tells is he blows that out of the water. He blows that idea out of the water that says you need to do good things to get God to love you, to get God to bless you, and, you need, and when you do bad things, he doesn't. And so today, I want to call this message, will you bless me now? God, will you bless me now? If I do this, will you bless me now? If I do that, will you bless me now? Because I love, I love this story so much. So let's Let's jump into this story. It's found in Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 9. Here's how it starts. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Right? To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Right? To those who were confident of their own standing with God. That God would say to them, you're good. Because in their day and age, you had to do a lot of ritual. You had to do a lot of things in order to be righteous, in order to have right standing with God, to to have God say, you're good. And so I think it begs the question, as we're sitting here in this room, we need to ask ourselves the question, would we say that we are good people? So how many of you in here would have the courage to say, yeah, I'm a good person? Raise your hand. Who says that? No one? No, I'm raising my hand. Who would say, I'm a pretty good person? I'm a fairly good person. Be honest. 
Be honest. Come on, come on, come on. I know there's more than that. I'm a fairly good person. Right? And then, because I think a lot of times we get caught up on this next line and look down on everyone else. So the problem is, is we read that next line and look down on everyone else, and internally we say to ourselves, this passage isn't for me. This is for someone else. Because I don't really look down on everyone else. But... I think really the thing is, is the second we say, I'm a good person, I'm fairly good, we begin to categorize good and bad. That I'm a good person, and, and then we begin to think of the people that we know that aren't good. Or maybe they're a little bit lower than us. And then the people who we would say, no, those are bad people. And then this person is a really, really good person. And when you really think about it, think about it seriously in your minds, you have this categorization of people where you see yourself somewhere on the spectrum and there's good people above you and bad people below you. And so, when we come to that realization, what we realize is that this parable is for us. Right? When we finally come to that realization that we're categorizing good and bad and we're putting ourselves somewhere in that spectrum, what, we're, what we begin to realize is that this story is for us. It's for me and it's for you. Right? So the story goes on. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Let's stay on this slide for a second. So Pharisee in this day and age, they're the religious elite, right? This man is a good person, right? If you say, I'm a good person, this man, he's not a jerk. I know he kind of, the rest of the story, he seems kind of like a jerk, but he's a good person, right? He actually is a good dude. Like, he knows the scripture. He teaches the scriptures. He's teaching people to walk this life of faith as he knows it and interprets it. Right? And then a tax collector. Tax collectors were Jews who basically sold their souls to the Roman Empire. So the Israelites were taken over by Rome. Rome was controlling them. And a Jew would say, I will collect taxes from my people for Rome. And what they typically, a lot of them would do is they would, they would ask for more money from people so they could skim some off the top and get really, really wealthy because of it. So these tax collectors literally would steal from the poor to get rich. This man is a scumbag, an absolute scumbag, but we don't see that when we read this. I think we just change that word Pharisee to pastor and tax collector to something like a pimp, right? Someone who takes advantage of someone who's vulnerable because that's exactly what a tax collector does. So we see pastor and we see pimp, and let's maybe see how this story changes this a little bit. So let's move on to the next slide, see how the rest of the story goes. The Pharisee, the pastor, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Have you, ever, have you ever really prayed and thanked God that he protected you from something? I think about this often. Uh, as I work with people who are really struggling in life, when you really begin to look at the history of their lives, and you realize everything that they've been through, that a lot of people today are a product of their environment. And I begin to think to myself, what if I would have grown up in a broken home, a home of crime, a home of drugs, a home of evil and anger? Well, like, what if I would have grown up in that environment? What kind of person would I be today? And I've even prayed the prayer before, God, thank you for protecting me from that. And I think it's totally okay to say thank you to God for those things, for the ways that we've been protected. But also at the same time, I think internally what I'm doing when I pray that prayer is I'm saying, God, thank you that I'm good. Thank you I grew up in a good home with a good family, with good people, 
and that I didn't have to grow up in a bad home with bad people. Right? And so when I read that and when I begin to change the language a bit, I realize that that's me. <laughs> right? I find myself in the story. That, that I am the Pharisee. And then we get to the part where he says, God, and I also prove that to you. I prove my worth and my value because I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of everything I have away. This is a good man. Right? If this, this, this man is a lot of us who are sitting here in this room today. Right? And so we find ourselves in this story and we say, whoa, okay. Something's going to be spoken to us. And then we move on. And it says, uh, let's go to the next slide. But the tax collector stood at a distant. The pimp stood at a distant. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Next slide. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think this last line is kind of, it's one of those things where we kind of read this story, we don't really find ourselves in it, and then we read the end and we say, be humble. That's the point of the story. The story is about being humble. But the story on the surface level, yeah, it's humility, but there's so much more to that. Jesus is reversing everything. He's blowing up this idea of who the winner is and who the loser is, right? Because you read this story, and the Pharisee, he's the winner. He is winning at life. He grew up in a good home. He's got a good job. He makes good money. He gives his money away. That's how much money he makes. He has so much food that he is able to fast twice a week, right? This is a good man who is wealthy. He's well off. He's good, Right? And then you have the opposite. You have a man that is losing at life. Absolutely losing at life. And so you have this story of these two losers. Right? Because both of them are losing. Because what we realize in this story is that if we want to play this win-lose game, both of these men, they are losing. It's just that only one of them realizes that he is losing. Only one of them realizes that, that this playing field is actually equal. This playing field is level. And so when we look at the Pharisee character, right, we really got to see that he's falling into this trap that he can do anything that's going to actually impress God, (laughs) right? It's like, it's like, God, can't you see I'm doing things for you? Out of the vast wealth you've given me, I give 10% away. It's like, ooh, good for you, right? I don't eat twice a week and I devote that time to prayer, it's like, wow, I'm impressed. Dang, yeah, I created the whole universe. Well done for not eating and holding back twice a week, right? But we can exaggerate that. Like, what can we do to impress God? What can we do that gets God's attention? Begin to exaggerate that. Maybe you start a nonprofit that feeds all the hungry here in Lincoln. Maybe you start a nonprofit that builds 10,000 wells in Africa. When is the level where you're finally going to get to the place where you impress God? Right? When are you going to finally get to the place where you win? And I think the Pharisee, he's fallen into this trap. And he's believing this lie that God loves the winners. That when we do good things, God will love us for it. And so what he's doing is he's presenting these good things to God to say, God, I want you to love me because I'm doing these things for you. And what we see is what, what ends up happening is that the tax collector is the one who goes home justified. 
justification, which is the person who is in right standing with God. Uh, He's the only one that goes home justified uh, because he came as nothing. And he says, I I need mercy, God. I need it. Because one realized that he was dead in those things that he was doing. And the other, he thinks those things are going to be, are going to save him. And so the tax collector, the tricky part is this. So we look at the life of this tax collector, right? And we see him coming to this place where he's like, have mercy on me, God. And this is where this story gets really, really tricky. Because let's run a hypothetical here. What do you expect him to do the next week? The tax collector. What if, what if you were in charge of uh, discipling this person? What if you were in charge of taking this jer- person on a journey of faith with Jesus? What are you going to tell him that he has to do now? I, I know if it was me, I'd be like, well, you got to quit your job. Okay, you got to stop stealing from the poor. Maybe pray, maybe read the scriptures. Maybe if you get really, really spiritual, you'll start serving the poor And then if you get really, 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 really spiritual, you start to talk to others about Jesus, right? And it becomes this list of things that we have to do. But in that, aren't we just turning the tax collector into a Pharisee? Giving him this list of all the things that he has to do in order to be good. This is what you need to do in order to be a good person. See, this is the ridiculousness of grace, the ridiculousness of the gospel is that what happens if that tax collector comes back the very next week and he hasn't changed a thing that week and he's still beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? What if nothing changes and he comes back the very next week and does the exact same thing? What, what do you think about that person now? That's when our inner Pharisee really begins to rile up, doesn't it? Because it makes us angry. Because we're like, you're violating everything right? That's not the point. God's supposed to change you, and then you're supposed to start doing good things. But that's exactly what the Pharisee is believing, right? Because this is the craziness about the gospel. The gospel isn't about turning bad people into good people. The gospel is that is, is transforming dead people into alive people. The gospel says that Jesus gave up his life for everything, that Jesus died so that we could live, If you take away one thing today, the gospel is not to transform you from a bad person into a good person. The gospel says you are dead and Jesus can make you fully alive. Alive here and now and alive for eternity. I love what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the Ephesians. He says it in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sin. It is grace that you have been saved, right? He made us alive with Christ. Made us alive for Christ even when we were dead in our sins. And then I love what Jesus says in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes to steal and destroy. That sin in our life, it's it's longing to get its claws in us and to destroy us. But I have come that we have life and have it in its full. Right? Because Jesus wants to bring the dead back to life. And these two characters, one realizes he is dead and the other doesn't. 
The other is holding on to these things saying, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing all these good things, so I'm going to be good. And the other is saying, I'm dead, have mercy on me, I'm empty. Because God can do so much through you when you empty yourself. When you get rid of all those things and when you get rid of that idea that if you do good things, God will love you. And if you do bad things, God will hate you. When you get rid of that, when you get rid of this idea of winning and losing and how do we win? How do we win? How do we get more faith? How do we do more things? When we just blow that up and we say, God, this sin, these things in my life, they're destroying me. Have mercy. That's when resurrection life begins to invade us. You see, Jesus is actually the king of losers. Why? The Messiah was supposed to come as a king and supposed to take away, it's supposed to take away the Roman Empire, supposed to, supposed to establish this earthly throne forever, right? But what happens? He gets crucified. He lost. He failed his mission, right? Rome put him up on the cross and said, look at that loser. He lost The religious elite of the day said, look at that loser. He lost, right? But in losing, (laughs) in losing, in death, Jesus was resurrected to life, right? And it's the same story for us. When we finally come to that place where we say, I am the least, I am the lowest. When we say, I've lost. That's when Jesus can do his greatest work through us. Because when you think about the idea of winning and losing, winning's a little bit of a fool's errand, right? So uh, I was a really big Chicago Cubs fan growing up my whole life. Uh, I gave up on them in college because I was like, these jokers are never going to win a World Series, <laughs> right? And so then last year, they got my hopes up, and I started watching them again. And then game seven, they start to blow it. And I'm like, forget you losers. And then they pull it off in the end, in extra innings, and I'm ecstatic. But I'll never forget the feeling once they win, like, it, it begins to feel a little empty. And then they began to do interviews with the players. Like, what next? What next? Uh, we're going to win it next year, too. Right? Because this idea of winning, the world throws up winners and says, look at the winners, look at the winners, look at the winners, look at the winners. Uh, <laughs> but winning, it's this circle that goes round and round and round and round. And so when we strive just to win, when we strive to be on top, when we strive for all those things to say, I'm good. I have all these good things on my belt, all these good things that I'm doing. They're empty. But when we throw those things down and we say, Jesus, these things have destroyed me. They're killing me. And I need your resurrection life to invade every part of my being and my soul. That's when we begin to experience life again. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. (laughs) He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So the good news is this. (laughs) You don't have to win. You don't have to achieve. You don't have to keep track of all these good things that you are doing Because Jesus was good for us. Jesus went on a cross for us. He lost for us. So that we can go through the gate. We can take this narrow path and say, I'm not living that life anymore. A big part of this series has actually been formed by this book here, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. 
this gentleman, Robert Farrar Kappen, he wrote a book about every parable of Jesus. And I remember just finding this passage, and it's a big part of why we decided to do this series. But I just want to read you a little section of this passage of Scripture. Uh, when he's referring to this parable here, he says, He condemns the Pharisee because he takes his stand on a life God cannot use. He commends the tax collector because he rests his case on a death that God can use. The fact, of course, is that they are both equally dead and therefore both alike receivers of the gift of the resurrection. But the trouble with the Pharisee is that he is, is that for as long as he refuses to confess the first fact, he will simply be unable to believe the second. He will be justified in his death, but he will be so busy doing the bookkeeping on a life he cannot hold that he will never be able to enjoy himself. It's just misery to try to keep count of what God is no longer counting. Your entries simply keep disappearing. See, when we begin to just tally up all those good things we're doing to say, God, will you bless me? God, will you bless me? God, will you bless me? It's just a fool's errand. Because God, in this story, the person he justifies is the heart that says, I'm empty. I'm yours. I'm open. And that's when we become fully alive. And then we don't have to do anything. We don't have to give up this or give up that. Heck, we don't even have to read our Bibles. We don't have to pray. We don't have to go to church. Uh, We get to. We don't have to be angry anymore. You don't have to hold on to that grief. You don't have to hold on to that pain. You don't have to hold on to that regret. You don't have to hold on to that person who hurt you so bad. You get to let that go. And then you get to step into this future, right? And you begin your greatest adventure, which is this life that is fully alive with Jesus. This life that you get to be moved by the Spirit, and the Spirit begins to take you on this grand adventure because you are an empty vessel, and you simply say, Jesus, I want you to live through me. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to have to come back to you every single week, every single day, and say, forgive me. Forgive me. And then God can begin to use us, us, a kingdom of those who have lost, those who are least, those who are lowest, those who have given up on the idea that in order to get ahead, it's to win. And what good news it is, how big the grace of God, that God could actually love us when we are at our lowest, that God would actually love us when we are in the midst of our sin. Today, I wonder where you're at. Have you believed this lie that you need to do good things in order to get God to love you? Have you believed the lie that says, I I need to accomplish all these things in order for my life to feel satisfied? Maybe today is the day that you make the decision where you say, I want to become the least. I want to empty myself. I want to, I, I want to be less like the Pharisee and I want to be more like the tax collector. Because God can use us when we empty ourselves and when we say, God, fill me. Would you pray with me, Mosaic? Jesus, I thank you that 
There is no hierarchy in your kingdom. You said the last is first and the first is last. That we've all fallen short. We all have this pain. We all have this regret. We all have these areas that we've failed. We've all at times blamed you when things didn't go as planned. Many of us in this room are really frustrated with you right now because maybe you didn't come through. Maybe someone's in here and they just feel like that you are punishing them for the actions that they've done in their life. Maybe someone's in this room and they feel like you are blessing them because of the actions that they are doing in their life. God, today, my prayer is that we, like the tax collector, will just beat our chest and say, God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for believing that our good things make us righteous. Forgive us for believing that there's anything that we could do to make you not love us. Jesus, you said that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. (laughs) That, God, your blessings flow to the righteous, your blessings flow to the unrighteous. That, God, your desire is for all of us, for every single human on the face of this planet, to realize it's not about winning, it's not about getting ahead, but it's about being a servant, being last. Jesus, my prayer today is that your spirit will invade our souls, that your spirit will transform us so that we don't have to do anything, but we get to do what you are calling us to do. God, I pray that today you will begin a great adventure in all of our lives. That as we empty ourselves, as we release ourselves from the bitterness and the pain and the frustration and our failures, as you release us from those things, you invade us with your resurrection life. That we can experience eternal life, not when we die, but we can experience it right here and now, today. Thank you, Jesus, for this adventure that you're taking us on. Thank you that we can speak to you now and you hear us, that you are in our midst, that your spirit is present. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.